Amen. Let's take a copy of God's Word and look with us to our passage found in the book of Colossians this morning. The book of Colossians chapter 1. The last few weeks we've been focusing on this chapter, looking at how to grow in our faith. Today we're going to be looking at the book of Colossians chapter 1, beginning with verse 21. While you're turning that passage, people have asked me, did I have a, a good birthday yesterday? And I did. And uh, our daughter came out, at, uh, came into town. She lives in St. Petersburg. And so she came into town. And she will be moving to Austin, Texas in July. She will be teaching pharmacy at the University of Texas. So uh, pray for her. I told her, remember two words. Roll Tide. Did you hear? I actually told her those words. This... <laughs> she makes me proud. <laughs> One out of two is not bad. Sorry, James. Okay. It's a joke. We'll edit that out. Book of Colossians, chapter 1. Beginning with verse 21. Notice what Paul is saying. Remember, Paul is writing to this church at Colossae. They have false teachers. These false teachers are in this church saying, you don't need Jesus. You might need a little bit of Jesus, but not all of Jesus. They're also saying, hey, we have secret knowledge. You need to be in our group, and we'll give you some secret knowledge that no one else knows about, and you can be better than the other people. So this is what they're doing. It's called the Gnosticism. So notice what Paul says in verse 21. And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. If indeed you continue in the faith, firmly established and steadfast, and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, was made a minister." Now, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. In, in my flesh, I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction. Of this church, I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit, so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the Word of God, that is, the mystery of which has been hidden from the past ages and generations, but now has been manifested to his saints, to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And we proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. And for this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. Pray with me. Our Father, we thank you so much for your word. And Father, we ask you now to be our teacher. Father, we ask the Holy Spirit to guide us that, Father, we will understand this passage, but help us to understand it that we may apply it to our lives. That, Father, we may make a difference. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Cyrus Hamlin was one of the most fascinating men in the 19th century that most people have never even heard of. 
early in life, he wanted to make a difference in the world. In fact, he remembers when he made that commitment. He was 11 years old. He was 11 years old, and he was going into town by himself on what they call Mustard Day. It's a holiday in Maine. And his mom gave him seven cents to buy gingerbread. And she said, now, when you get there, you need to go to the contribution box and give maybe one cent or two cents. That's to help the poor. And so he's walking to town trying to decide, how much am I going to give? And so when he gets into town, he dumped all seven cents into the contribution box. So he didn't get his gingerbread. He didn't eat. And so by the time he came home that night, he was starving. And his mom gave him a bowl of bread and milk. And he called it the best meal that he ever had. He said, I learned the joy of giving. I learned how to help other people. And I realized at that moment, I wanted to make a difference in the world. And he did. Many years later, in, while he was in Turkey during the Crimean War, he noticed how the sick men were, and wounded soldiers were suffering because they didn't have clean clothing or clean sheets. And other women would wash the blood-soaked sheets and clothing. So he invented a washing machine with the materials that he had at hand to wash the clothes and provide them clean sheets. His life really was amazing. I mean, when you consider, you look at a list of everything he did, all of his professions, here's some of the list. He was a missionary, an iron worker, a mechanic, a baker, laundryman, author, physician, architect, builder, inventor, seminary professor, businessman, and college president. He was recognized in that time period as an intellectual giant and a mechanical genius. And yet, later in his life, he was asked, what was the event that you're most proud of? What was the event that made you the most proud of your life? Without hesitation, he said, the day I was a washerwoman in Turkey in the Crimean War, making clean sheets for wounded men. Now, if you read about Cyrus, you'll notice everything I told you, plus a lot more information about his desire to make a difference. But most of the articles that are written about him, they leave out something very important. He wanted to make a difference in life. He strove to make a difference in life. Every profession he did, he, he tried to make a difference in life. But what most people leave out is this part. He wanted to make a difference in life for Christ. That's the part they leave out. When he was 11 years old, he decided, I want to make a difference for Christ. And so his life was one, I'm going to make a difference in this world for my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that should be our goal too. Our goal is to make a difference for Jesus. I mean, that should be our goal. That was the goal of the Apostle Paul. You cannot read Paul's writings without realizing Paul wanted to make a difference. He wanted to make a difference everywhere in the name of Jesus. And Paul is writing to this church at Colossae, telling them basically the same thing. You need to make a difference. Now, I know you're struggling with these false teachers, and you shouldn't listen to them. You should focus on Jesus and Jesus alone. And so in this chapter, Paul is addressing this theme of how to make a difference. This morning, if you take your Bibles and let's look back at it, as Paul tells us how to make a difference in the world for Christ. Number one, you need to focus on serving. You need to focus on serving. Look what he says in verse 25. Of this church, I was made a minister 
according to the stewardship from God. Now, Paul also used that same word back in verse 23. I, Paul, was a minister. Now, now that word minister doesn't mean an ordained minister. What it means is a servant. Paul is saying to this church, I am a servant. That is my calling. Paul didn't write to this church and say, hey, hey, I'm an apostle. I'm kind of a big deal. You need to listen to me. Hey, hey, do you realize how important I am? Paul doesn't say that. Paul writes to this church and he says, I'm a servant. I serve. And if you want to make a difference in life, you have to become a servant. In 1971, the eyes of the world was focused on two men, David Scott and James Irwin. They were American astronauts. They were spending the time of the Apollo 15 lunar module on the surface of the moon. I mean, even now it's amazing that they were there. They spent seven, they were on, uh, explored 17.4 miles of the moon's surface. They spent 18 hours on the moon, and the world watched them. When they came back to earth, James Irwin said this, as I was returning to the earth, I realized that I was not, I, that I was a servant, not a celebrity. So I'm here as God's servant on planet earth to share what I have experienced that others might know the glory of God. I love that. I'm not a celebrity. I'm a servant. There's a difference. I mean, here's Paul. Paul's not saying I'm a celebrity. He's saying I'm a servant. You, you realize the difference, don't you? A celebrity works for themselves. A servant works for the Savior. A celebrity it tries to get the applause of man. A servant tries to get the applause from God. A celebrity, they want special honors. A servant doesn't seek special honors. A celebrity always wants more power. A servant just wants to help. And here's Paul writing to the church. He said, I am a servant. I'm, not, I'm just an ordinary servant. I am trying to serve. And the word Paul uses there is an interesting word because it, it mean, meant slave, but a certain kind of slave. It's, it's the kind of slave that you've seen these movies where they're on a boat and they're rowing all together. Under, Ro, under Roman is what they're saying. That's what Paul's saying. He said, I'm in the bottom of the ship. I don't know where I'm going. I'm just following where Jesus tells me to go. I looked at Jesus without complaining, without questioning. I don't know where I'm going. It really doesn't matter as long as Jesus tells me where to go. I, I, I don't know where I'm going because, because Jesus is in charge. I don't know what storms I'm going to face. I don't care because Jesus is going to be there. I don't know when the storms may come. I don't care because Jesus is going to be there. I will listen and obey the commands of my Jesus. If we're going to make a difference in the world, we've got to become servants. And we will not make a difference by being celebrities or bossing people around. Now, that doesn't make sense to the world. I mean, to make a difference, you got to serve. Isn't that what Jesus said? Book of Mark chapter 10, he said, The Son of Man has not come to be served, but to serve and offer his life as a ransom for many. Who are you serving? This past week, your family, friends, people at work, are you bossing them? Are you trying to be a celebrity to them, or are you serving them? And here's the Apostle Paul writing to this church in prison, hundreds of miles away, and he's saying, I am a servant for you. Second, if you want to make a difference, you need to focus on stewardship. 
You need to focus on stewardship. Again, in verse 25, Paul says, Of this church I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit. Paul, a lot of times, liked to put those words together. When you read his letters, he likes to talk about being a servant and then also being a steward. Now, we talked about what a steward is. We, we do it every year in January. Being a steward means you manage what is given to you. Everything we have comes from God. Everything you have comes from God, and we are to manage that. Therefore, we are stewards. So here's Paul saying, I am going to be a steward of what God has given to me. Now, again, every January, I'll do a series on stewardship. You'll hear it again in January. Most people think it's about money. It's more than that. It's about time, our talents, our treasure. About everything you have comes from God. And what Paul especially is talking about here, he says, I am a steward of what I know. Of this, I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the Word of God. He said, I am a steward of what I know, and I need to tell you the gospel. All of us who are believers, we have a message that God has given to us that we need to tell others. I had a friend of mine a couple of years ago say this, if you believe that the gospel changes people but you won't engage people, then you may not believe the gospel. I think he's right. If you have the gospel, but you're not going to tell people the gospel, how do we know you have the gospel? How can you hold that in? And, and Paul is saying, I am a steward of this message. Remember what Jesus said? Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you're my witnesses. You know, Jesus never said, you're my attorneys, argue for the faith. He, he never told us, you're my philosophers, uh, go out there and give wisdom to the world. Jesus said, hey, you're, you're my PR person. Uh, why don't you go and, and tell people what I'm doing? No, he said, you're my witnesses. You tell what you know. You tell what God is doing in your life. Every one of us, we have a story unlike anyone else. Your story is unique. And God wants you to take that story and tell people. God wants you to take the story, how God worked in your life, and tell other people. In fact, in the book of Acts, six times Paul gives his testimony rather than preach a sermon. Now, sometimes he preaches sermons, but six times he says, let me tell you my story. If you and I are going to make a difference in the world, we have to become stewards. That means everything we have, we're accountable for, especially our testimony. Third, if you're going to make a difference in the world, you need to focus on your suffering for Christ. Focus on your suffering for Christ. Look back at verse 24. Here's something you don't expect if you've never read the Bible before. Paul says, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. I rejoice in my sufferings. Now, let me tell you what he's not saying. Paul is not saying I'm suffering in order to be saved. Jesus suffered for us to be saved. We don't suffer to be saved. No, he's saying something different. Paul is saying, I am suffering because I'm doing this work. We don't like this. Let's be honest. We don't like that verse. We want a gospel that says everything's going to work out. We want a gospel that says everything's going to be smooth sailing. We want a gospel that says we are never going to suffer, but you don't find that in the Bible. Here's Paul saying, I suffered for the gospel, but I didn't give up. I am in prison, but I'm not giving up. I suffer and I rejoice because God is doing something in me. 
Paul doesn't say his suffering is bad luck. Paul is saying maybe it's attacked by Satan, or maybe God is allowing it to get my attention, or maybe God is making me stronger. I don't know, but I rejoice in it because God is using it. Satan uses my suffering to stop me. God uses my suffering to strengthen me. And Paul understood that. Paul says, when my suffering comes, I know life is going to get tough, but I am not going to give up. I'm not going to be sidetracked. I'm not going to take my eyes off the mission. I'm not going to take my eyes off Jesus. In my suffering, I rejoice. Because here's what Paul understands. When you suffer, guess what you do? You look to Jesus. When everything's going well, we take our eyes off Jesus. But the moment we start suffering, we take our eyes back on Jesus. But also, when we struggle, our faith is strengthened. Strengthen our prayer life, doesn't it? I promise you, when you struggle and you're suffering, you, you pray more. The suffering can help. That's what Paul is saying. I rejoice in my suffering. Business, business writer Jim Collins tells the story of Tommy Caldwell. Tommy Caldwell may be the greatest free uh, mountain climber in the world. Free mountain climber is when you climb just using your, your hands and your feet. You don't use ropes except for safety. On May 15, 2007, Jim Collins was talking to Tommy, and Tommy told him his goal. He said, I, I want to climb the mountain, El Capitan, on the side called the Dawn Well. No one had ever free climbed that before. In fact, it was considered impossible. Now, let me, let me try to explain this to you. Dawn's Well. Imagine the Empire State Building. Now, put another Empire State Building on top of that. Now, put half of the Empire State Building on top of that. That's how tall it is. Now, imagine it's smooth, almost like glass. It's almost impossible to find holes at climbing that mountain. Now, free climbing, you can use ropes for safety. You can't use ropes to climb. So as you're climbing, you, you attach your rope in case you fall, but you can't use ropes to climb. Dawnwell is so smooth, they say it's easier to climb at night when the headlamp can see the little crevices because some of the holes are the size of dimes. I mean, the, 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 the strength you need in your fingers is amazing. And Tommy said, I want to do that. No one's ever done it before, and I, I want to do it. And so he tried, and he tried, and he tried, and he tried. Sometimes he would fall 10 feet, the rope would catch him. Sometimes he would fall 30 feet, the rope would catch him. One time he fell 50 feet, and the rope caught him. But he wouldn't give up. Did Tommy ever succeed? Yes. He spent 20 plus years focusing on climbing it. He completed the climb 2,801 days after he told Jim Collins that was his goal. By the way, the year after he told Jim Collins the goal that May, the year later, he cut off his left index finger with a table saw. This is why I don't do saws. Table saws, circular saws, sea saws, it makes no difference. I don't do saws. You need your fingers to climb mountains. Tommy managed to become a better climber. Not only that, during this process, he developed a special kind of shoe that would help him. Not only that, he had to develop a, a special climbing technique that no one had ever used before. But he wouldn't give up. But why? 
Why would he do it? People ask, why, why do you keep trying to do this? You're failing, failing, and failing. In fact, Jim, Jim Collins asked him the question, why do you continue to climb and keep failing failure constantly? And I love what Tommy answered was. Tommy responded, you don't understand, Jim. I'm not failing. I'm growing. That's the point of the climb. The climbing is making me stronger. I'm not failing. It's making me stronger. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying. I rejoice in my suffering. I'm not failing. It's only making me stronger to go forward. Next, Paul says, if you want to make a difference in the world, you need to focus on speaking about Jesus. You need to focus on about speaking about Jesus. Look what he says in verse 26. That is the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations, but has now been manifested to his saints, to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Verse 28, we proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom that we may present every man complete in Christ. In those verses, Paul says, if you're going to make a difference in the world, what you have to do, you have to speak about Jesus. And Paul gives us three different ways to do this. Three different verbs he tells us that we need to do as we speak about Jesus. Number one, he says, by preaching. So he says in verse 28, he says, we proclaim that, or we preach. And what, all that means is when, if you, you're just making known. That's all it means. You're going to tell people about Jesus. And Paul says, you are going to tell people about Jesus this mystery, verse 26. Now, you see what Paul is doing? Remember the Gnostics? They said there's a mystery out there, unknown. Paul says, yeah, there's a mystery, but everybody knows about it. What's the mystery? He tells us. He tells us exactly what it is. Verse 27. To whom God will to make known what is the riches of glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Paul says, we have a mystery. It is true, but the mystery is in the Old Testament, they knew the Messiah was coming. They did not know the Messiah would be in us. That's what he's saying, Christ in us. There is a mystery. He said the Messiah is going to make a difference not only for the Jews but also for the Gentiles. That's what he's saying in that verse. This mystery is not hidden. It's revealed now. And we have to tell the world. We have to tell the world by preaching, by making known. How do you make known? Well, invite people to church. Invite people to life groups. Invite people to events. Invite people to you know, tell them about Christ. Tell people what Jesus is doing for you. He said we speak by preaching. But secondly, he says we speak by warning. We speak by warning others. Verse 28, we proclaim him and then admonishing every man. Some translation put the word warning there. It's a word meaning that you tell someone something with emotion to change their will. It's the idea of a parent saying, if you keep that up, you're going to be in real trouble. Paul is saying, we've got to tell the world the warning. Now, Paul uses that same word in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, where he says, we're to warn with gentleness. Paul says, we're to warn the world of their sins. We're to warn the world that one day you're going to stand before God and give an account. Doesn't mean you're angry. Doesn't mean you're mad. Doesn't mean you're shouting. It means you speak in a way they hear you. And I love how Paul says this. He says, warning every man. Not just warning the people you like. Not just warning the people like you. Not warning the people you want to be saved. He said, no, every person on the planet, we are to warn. This is called the Great Commission. 
If you want to make a difference, you've got to tell people about Jesus. By preaching Jesus, warning others, and finally, he said, by speaking, by teaching. Verse 28 again. We proclaim him, that's preaching, admonishing, that's warning, that every man with all wisdom that we may present every man complete in Christ for this purpose I labor, striving according to his power which mightily works within me. We proclaim, admonish, teaching every man. Some people love to teach, but they don't warn people. Some people love to warn people, but they don't teach people. Paul said, if you're going to make a difference, you've got to do both. You see, if our focus on preaching is the Son of God, and the focus of our warning is the judgment of God, then the teaching must be the Word of God. And those verbs that Paul uses are constant. You need to keep preaching, keep warning, keep teaching. You keep doing it over and over and over, and you'll make a difference. Is it easy? Nope. Look what Paul says in verse 29. For this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. Paul says, I'm trying to preach and warn and teach, and I labor, and I'm striving. It means to go to the point of exhaustion, and we get the word agony from this. There's a term in sports, you leave it on the field. That's what Paul is saying. I am leaving it on the field. I'm giving every ounce of my energy to do this. But Paul adds something. He said, I'm not doing this on my own strength. I'm doing it in the power of Christ. You can't do this on your own strength. You, you can't preach anyone into heaven. You can't warn anyone into heaven. You can't teach anyone the things of God unless God is with you. That's what Paul is saying. It is through Christ he accomplishes the work. That's why we don't give up, because Christ is still there. In August of 1982, President Ronald Reagan wrote this in his diary. More of Saturday's work plus a long letter I have to write to Loyal. I'm afraid for him. His health is failing badly. Loyal Davis is who he's talking about. That's his father-in-law. His father-in-law was a newer uh, surgeon just a few days from his death. Loyal was a devout atheist. That Loyal once wrote this, I have never been able to subscribe to the divinity of Jesus Christ nor his virgin birth. I don't believe in his resurrection or heaven or hell as places. And here's Reagan, the most powerful man in the world. He puts everything aside to write him a letter. That letter is in the Reagan Library. Let me read you some of the letter. Dear Loyal, I hope you forgive me for this, but I've been wanting to write you ever since we've talked on the phone. I'm aware of the strain you're under and believe with all my heart there is help for that. It was a miracle that a young man of 30 years without credentials as a scholar or priest had more impact on the world than all the teachers, scientists, emperors, generals, and admirals who ever lived put together. Either he was who he said he was, or he was a, the greatest faker in Charlatan who ever lived. But would a liar and faker suffer the death he did? Then Reagan gave John 3.16. Then he added this. We have been promised that all we have to do is ask God in Jesus' name to help us when we have done all we can. When we've come to the end of our strength and abilities and we have that help, we only have to trust and have faith in his infinite goodness and mercy. Did the letter help? According to Nancy, when Loyal died, 
He died as a Christian. The most powerful man in the world who could make a difference in so many different ways took the time to write a letter to a dying man to make a difference in his life. You don't have to be the president of the United States to make a difference. You simply need to tell people about Jesus and don't give up because Christ works in you. And maybe you're here this morning, you, you can't do that because you've never given your life to Christ. Maybe you're like loyal. Maybe you've never realized that Jesus died for you in a personal way. 2,000 years ago, he died on a cross. Maybe you're like loyal at that time when he thought, well, this is all make-believe. No, it's not. It's a true story. Jesus loved you so much, he died for you. Will you give your life to him? By admitting that you're a sinner, saying, I can't save myself. I'm at the end of my rope. And I believe, I believe that Jesus did die for me. And he rose from the dead. And I give you everything, Lord. I trust you. If you're online and you would like to give your life to Christ, if you would text the word today at 270-398-5005, and a minister will give you a call. If you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Christ, will you do so? In a few moments, we're going to be singing. And as we're singing, would you just come talk to one of the ministers at the front? Or maybe there's another decision you need to make. Maybe to join their church or, or answer the call of the mission field or answer the call of the ministry, whatever it may be. But let all of us make a commitment to make a difference in the world. Would you stand by your heads? Our Father in heaven, the temptation is to think that only celebrities can make a difference. Only people in power can make a difference. But Father, according to your word, that's not true. Father, according to your word, we all can make a difference for you in this world. And Father, begins by becoming a servant, by submitting to you. And so, Father, I pray today that if there's anyone who needs to give their life to you in a personal way, let today be the day. And, Father, I pray that you'll help those of us who are believers, that we won't give up. Father, no matter what suffering or struggles we may be going through, let us keep going forward. Let us keep telling people about Jesus. Let us keep warning people about the coming judgment. Father, let us continue to teach your word and, Father, use us for your kingdom's sake. And, Father, so now in the next few moments during this time of invitation, let your will be done. And, Father, may you be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen.